Hey, I'm Liz. And Sarah, we're from Nobro, and you're listening to today's Boomdoggle. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this intro before the intro of our today's Boondoggle radio show. Uh, as you know, we're a veteran-owned and operated podcast, and this has been an incredibly therapeutic journey for me as a veteran that struggles with PTSD and anxiety, just getting out and talking to people. But uh, it does cost us some money, so if you feel so obliged to donate to our GoFundMe, we have a GoFundMe under Today's Boondoggle. We also have a Venmo at Today's Boondoggle that you can donate to. Uh, our anchor sponsorship at anchor.fm forward slash today's boondoggle uh, any questions comments suggestions complaints you can email us at today's boondoggle at gmail.com and please follow us on our social media sites at, uh, at today's boondoggle on instagram facebook twitter all your uh, social media platforms as well as our youtube channel our rumble channel and our bitshoot channel please follow subscribe comment and download and please consider checking out our sponsors if you uh, support our sponsor dream nutrition you can receive 10 percent off your order by using the promo code boondog10 at checkout so dream nutrition they're a veteran owned and operated company as well so please support them and receive 10 percent off using the promo code boondog10 thanks for your time and thanks for listening Thank you for tuning into this week's edition of today's Boondoggle. Domain Cleveland Entertainment is a veteran-owned and operated entertainment cornucopia of nonsensical shenanigans. You can find interesting interviews, music news, entertainment information and just about everything else in between. Thank you again for tuning into the show here at Domain Cleveland. What's going on, everybody? It's Bill Bailey with today's Boondoggle. And uh, getting to sit with uh, and have a good conversation with this lady today. I've uh, We've been talking about doing this for a while. And, um, you know, uh, I guess I needed the reminder, the physical reminders going on in my body this winter to reach out and catch up with you and say, you know, let's, let's get you on here. So... Uh, First, uh, I'll introduce you, Miss Crystal Kent. Hello. How you doing? I'm doing okay, considering. We'll get yeah. into that conversation and people will kind of figure out why I say okay. But Yeah, yeah. Well, that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to, to have you on, to uh, help people kind of understand what our okays are like. But uh, before we get into to that, I wanted to uh, get get your quick background. So like originally, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a superwoman. <laughs> follow me here. Follow me. I know it sounds crazy. Um, so my last name is Kent and I live in Cleveland, Ohio, outside of Cleveland, Ohio and DC comics originally published Superman. Superman's alias is Clark Kent. 
Uh, my biological father's initials are DC Kent and I have wow. blonde hair. And all I can say is that you never see me and Superwoman in the same room. I'm just saying. So maybe I did grow up to be what I wanted. You never know. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's no such thing as coincidences, you know. Right. <laughs> so that's a glimpse into my six-year-old brain thinking that uh, everybody's like, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a police officer. I want to be a doctor. I was like, I'm, I, I want to be and I'm going to be Superwoman. And uh, you just never know. <laughs> oh, I get that. I wanted to be a Jedi. So. Oh, there you go. See? <laughs> so um, when what what age were you when uh, you knew that you wanted to uh, serve your country? When did you 15, feel that calling? 15 years old. I was in high school. I uh, I I just I knew I'll be honest. Originally, my plan was to enlist in the Air Force, but um, I graduated high school and then I decided I was going to go to college first before joining the military because I thought I was going to be a lifer in the military. And I felt that, um, you know, I, I wanted to get some of that civilian experience and go to college. And my initial goal was graduate college, enlist and, and go in enlistment, uh, bef you know, before becoming an officer so that the goal was I'd eventually become an officer. And when I did, I'd have more respect amongst the ranks because I went in enlisted first and knew what it was like being enlisted in the military versus just going straight in as an officer. So that was the game plan. Um, and, and so, yeah, at 15, I knew I wanted to be in the military. I originally thought, I, you know, I was going to do Air Force. And then I went to college and I graduated and... I uh, hooked up with a young lady who was an MP in the army and she linked me to her recruiter who became my recruiter, Jim Maurer, who's retired. Awesome. Awesome dude. Um, and so I ended up enlisting in the army and that was in November of 99. And okay. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, I'm kind of dating myself here, but uh, yeah, so 99 and then um I, I actually got out in February of 2002 due to injuries. I, uh, you know, I busted my knee, had knee surgery eight weeks after having knee surgery. I got in a fight with a deuce and a half truck, a two and a half ton truck. I was a passenger in a truck that like crashed into a ditch and it kind of, it, it caused a whole like plethora of issues. And uh, it got to the point where my unit was like, you're no longer deployable. We're med boarding you. And, and, uh, so that ended my military career after about three years. And I stayed on with my unit for another uh, little bit over two years and reinvigorated the family readiness group. Uh, because by that point, September 11th had already happened. And uh, I was part of a combat support hospital. So I knew they were going to get deployed eventually. So I uh, Basically, I mean, you have to get, this is what's interesting to be a family readiness group leader. You actually have to get sanctioned and approved uh, by the like region your unit is assigned to in the army. And so, um, yeah, that was all approved and sanctioned. And then I, I basically reinvigorated it so that it was a resource for families and the soldiers for deployment. Um, 
get them prepped for deployment, bring in entities like JAG and, and whatnot to help the soldiers get all their legal documents up to date uh, well in advance prior to deployment. I uh, upstarted a food pantry of non-perishable items for those soldiers and their families that were struggling, created a resource list, whatnot. And I, yeah, so I, I really was with my unit a total of a few months past five years between my service and doing the family readiness group leader stuff. So there you have yeah, it. <laughs> you're able to adapt to the situation and still contribute and everything. Um, so during your time in, uh, what are some of the oddest things that you experienced in the military? Like experienced or observed? Uh, does it matter? Both. Yeah, either <laughs> or. Um, Good stuff, funny stuff, bad stuff. Um, Usually uh, funny stuff or, okay. you know, something that like, you know, that the civilians would be like, what? You know, so walking, I don't, it's just, I just was like walking back to the barracks. This is at Fort Leonardwood, Missouri. Um, hearing crazy noises from a dumpster. So my battle buddy um as we call it and i were like what the heck is that and we're, we're thinking it's like a raccoon uh down at you know fort leonardwood we called it like fort lost in the woods because it's middle, literally in the middle of the woods so there's just a lot of animals and stuff so we thought maybe it's a raccoon or a wild animal that got stuck in the dumpster <laughs> so we go check it out and uh yeah there was two soldiers having sex in the dumpster and it was like what the what Freaking fracking disgusting, like E. coli ghetto <laughs> urge. Blah. It was so gross. Blah. It's gross. It's like, how desperate do you have to be? Yeah, I, exactly. Then it, I was like, yeah, it probably got service connected for it too afterwards. I, well, the first thing I said is, like, y'all better go get checked out for tetanus when you're done. <laughs> It was like a huge, it ended up becoming an investigation. It was like crazy. I was like, wow. what is wrong with these people? Like what? Serious. I, I can't even. And and people think I'm making this story up and I'm like, I'm not I'm like, it really happened. And I don't, I mean, so yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I would love to see like some documentary of where are they now? These two people, like, had been a fly on the wall when they decided this is where we need to go and, and they were like basic they're in like basic training so i was like i'm like how desperate you got that's i think that's enough for your audience i that yeah, yeah that's something else well, sure. well, <laughs> it's so gross so gross Jeez, yeah i mean i've you know known of people at like in bathrooms at clubs and stuff like that you know and i've always thought that was kind of like nasty but man that this takes the cake <laughs> um all right so moving along <laughs> without like breaking opsec where would you say was the the worst place you served fort letterwood <laughs> yeah. it was so it is horrible yeah it's people are uh banging in dumpsters i guess I mean, yeah i mean need i say more hey, you know what uh each base has its own like culture and mentality and i don't know we called it 
like Fort Lost in the Woods, but also Fort Misery. Um, yeah, that talk about I don't know, it's like a mind lobotomy being there. It's just yeah, the the mentality, the location, the uh, it just sucked. That's all I'm gonna. <laughs> And at the time when I was there, Fort, uh, both, what, I'm trying to remember which fort, Fort Polk was under construction. So we had some uh, military and not just army, but we had like Marines there. Um, we had some Air Force. So they were transitioned there. And, and for some reason, we had some from Fort Sell. So there was on top of it being Fort Misery and 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 people banging in the dumpsters, uh, we had way too many people in one spot, and it just yeah. So there's just was not my favorite. Not good. What was there a place that was one of your favorites during your time in? I I liked Fort McCoy in Wisconsin. So good memories there. Um. I don't know. I just think it was, I don't know. Just a lot of like, again, again, a lot of it is the mentality, like each base, it's almost like it's their own person. Like if that makes sense, it, it, it has its own like culture and set, it, you know, there is this set of norms being in the military and in the army specific to the army. And then each base like has its own character. And I don't know, they had a really great gym, um, it, it, at the time it was it was pretty state-of-the-art so it was nice i mean the winter wasn't the cold weather wasn't i mean i was there in like october like the first week of october it was like already 30 degrees i'm like well this okay i can't complain about cleveland weather anymore but uh it was nice and i drove there so uh just all the scenery and stuff i think kind of um instilled that positive experience because you're seeing a lot of nature and whatnot and that's kind of i love nature so yeah that was fun nice and then what is like uh what would you say is like one of your pet peeves uh with uh you know the civilian population since transitioning out of the military <laughs> they don't think women are are have served or are veterans and i've had so many instances where as a female veteran i've been asked to be present or to present at events or participate in on um, like parades or or resource events for veterans and I'll even have a shirt or a hat or whatnot and I've literally had and I'm like with male veteran counterparts and and people literally walk past me and thank all the men for their service and I even had one one time a situation where I was asked to uh participate in a parade for a veteran nonprofit organization and one of the uh members of the nonprofit wasn't a veteran but you know supported veterans and had family members who were veterans and we're outside and it like I literally it says army veteran on my shirt and like I had my rattle battle hat on and I was there with like uh two like army buddies and uh everybody like walked past me like I was in the middle of this line and they were like, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service to the men. And then they walk past me, don't even look at me. And then they go to the next person who wasn't even a veteran, but a guy. And they're like, thank you for your service to shake it. And everybody's like, she's a veteran too. And I'm like, 
I'm like, obviously, you know, I need a neon sign. Um, so that is a pet peeve. I used to have army license plates on my vehicle and I got rid of them because I can't tell you how many times while it was well intended, how many times I'd be somewhere. Sorry, it's like fuzz flying around. And they would see, you know, a stranger would see my, my army plates and they would be like, oh, thank your husband for your service. And I'm like, no, no, I served. I'm the one that served. I'm the one that served. Or thank your father. That was another one. And these are not like years and years ago. Like this, it happens all the time, all the time. And I just, I'm like, really? I mean, I know there's only like 2 million female veterans, but still like women serve too. And I don't know. So that is a pet peeve. And, and I really wish people would be more cognizant um, and observant. You know, you see a female there wearing their stuff and being like, oh, yeah, they, you know, I don't I don't want want to be thanked for my service. But if you're going to go through the procession of thanking people, don't don't skip over the female. Don't assume I, I had someone and another I was asked to speak at a uh, nonprofit organization like their whatever monthly whatever it was conference and uh one of the board of directors was like oh so like whose wife are you and i was like i'm nobody's wife i'm the veteran and i'm actually the guest speaker that was that was in 2019 i remember so yeah it and that that person was actually a veteran as well so yeah that there's a lot of um i don't know what the term would be uh I don't know what the term would be kind of lack of insight, maybe, you know, even say a little misogynistic to assume that only men serve and it is what it is. Yeah. I've dealt with it for years and years and years and years. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and that's like, you know, something I'm learning from right now too. It's like, you know, I don't ever, you know, I mean, I served with many women, so I know women serve and stuff, but I didn't realize that, you know, until you bring that up, that that's something that, you guys deal with too, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm it's glad actually, we're it out there, you know, it's actually pretty consistent and pervasive. Uh, and the other thing that, uh, I contend with other female veterans have spoken about is that our time in service wasn't as significant as a male counterpart. And I'm like, well, wait a second. I actually know women who served and were in combat zones who were going on recon missions and very dangerous areas. Yep. Um, and, and, and that wasn't, you know, the exception, it it happened a lot, you know, and so that's the other thing is they just think like we're cooks or doing laundry or doing kind of like admin or like secretarial or HR stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm like, you know, we have female pilots. We have, you know, the, we're in all, you know, ranks and, and, and positions in the military and assume that we have, we're all like in these passive roles in the military is also a misconception. Yeah. I mean, I served during my, my last deployment. I mean, there's because of our, you know, our, uh, skill set or rates or whatever that, you know, we, we are in, I mean, there, I served with some women that were able to do a lot more badass stuff that I was able to do during our deployment, but they, they were, you know, I was envious, but they were, you know, they're still killing it. I think few of them are, you know, still in. Um, and what is something that you will always carry with you from your time of service? Um, hmm. 
you know, I kind of a bit of like when there's a will, there's a way and always trying to find a way to overcome, um, especially like with my health conditions, uh, finding a way around the barriers. Like, you know, people say, oh, you can overcome any obstacle. And I'm like, yeah, sometimes you, you can't go over it, but you got to be creative and finding a way to go around it. Cause in the military, if plan A doesn't work. You have plan B and C and D. And like my last job, I was assigned to the tactical operations center of my unit. So there it was kind of like, yeah, here's the strategic plan for this issue that, you know, it was like, it was like pre-planning uh, if, you know, identifying potential things that could happen and, and having things set to minimize or stop uh, an issue, whatever it would be like if, the combat support hospital came under fire or if there was a contagious illness or maintaining uh, lines of communication. And, and, and you didn't just come up with one plan. You came up with, you know, if plan A didn't work, there's 25 other letters in the alphabet. So you have all these other plans. So that's that mentality that what I learned there, I, I definitely have carried into like my personal life and my civilian existence <laughs> best way just like tackling life issues managing my chronic medical conditions uh interpersonal relationships yeah so yeah it's a pretty solid uh thing i learned and i'm glad i did so and then what's one of your greatest hopes uh for the country you've been willing to give your life for You know, I, my greatest hopes, uh, especially in current uh, times, is that people stop talking so much and start listening actively and having more diplomatic, constructive discussions versus uh, listening simply to reply. Um, I think, yeah, I think that we don't listen enough and and we talk too much. And and I mean, I've been just as guilty as that. And that's something I've been having to learn as well. It's like when I first started even doing this podcast, you know, it was like, you know, I mean, some of the other things I struggle with is anxiety, PTSD. And so this has kind of like been like a therapy for me having conversations Mm -hmm. again. And at the beginning, I was always thinking of the next question and not listening to the person's answer, you know, and, and just it now I just like, I'm learning to just shut up and listen. So, um, it's definitely been helping teach me. And I, I agree, man. So many of us need to quit knee jerk reaction and try and listen to what the other side, we might not agree with what somebody else has Mm -hmm. to say, but you know, at least hear them out where they're coming from and not right away broad brush them as the enemy or something, you know? Right. And, and, and the thing of it is, is that you could have polar opposite views on any particular topic. It doesn't matter the topic, but when you are just listening to respond and it becomes heated and you're trying to get someone to understand your point of view, you end up pushing them further away. And then it becomes harder to have those type of discussions in the future because I don't know. It, it's kind of like uh, 
in a way you're you're advocating or you're being like an activist on your viewpoint and i'm like there's such a fine line between activism and antagonism and because it's like somehow we're so ingrained to respond 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 um and then when you get in these heated discussions with people with completely different ideas and opinions and and it could be completely wrong like they could be totally wrong but when you respond in that manner that is you know you're trying to change their view or help them see the situation from your point of view and and instead we end up pushing people further from us and then that creates a bigger divide and the issue becomes even more difficult to tackle. And, and again, sometimes it's simple conversations that aren't really anything that are um, like polarizing, but people have different ideas. And I've sat back and watched group conversations where people, they get so ingrained in their belief system on, on a particular topic. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to change someone's belief system. But having that conversation and listening gives you an idea of where they're coming from and you can use those points to have a discussion to present different ideals or points of view to kind of make them think hmm you know and i'm not saying i'm perfect like there are some hot buttons with me and and i rarely rarely (laughs) am like get heated but um it's hard. It's hard when you're passionate about something and, and, and you're trying to have that conversation and, and people aren't listening. And then, you know, there's just times I walk away because I had to be cognizant of my energy pennies and yeah. be like, I have to revisit this later because this is too draining on me physically and mentally. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's perfect segue into our, our main topic that we're going to be hitting but uh one more before we get in there what do you feel we can do to break the stigma of uh ptsd and mental health you know i think in this uh day and age uh that you know i know like myself i've like created and cultivated a lot of discussions and informational like videos and posts and blogs about the topic. But I, you know, especially with PTSD um, and not just amongst veterans, because the symptoms of PTSD are the symptoms um, and the situation that brings it on is what's different. And I honestly think the honestly i think we need to be honest i i feel that uh we need to start creating our own narratives and sharing our experiences um to help normalize uh, you know a couple decades ago the stats were one out of ten people in the u.s were going to experience some form of a mental health condition whether it was short term or long term but now we're in 2022 and they're saying one out of five and and it could be PTSD or anxiety or depression or whatnot. And I think that, um, you know, seeing this increase is that we have to really have 
supportive discussions and whether it's in person, whether it's on social media, um, sharing our experiences, but also validating other people's experiences and also putting it in terms for people to understand. So like I deal with like anxiety, uh, situational anxiety in particular with being in a vehicle. Um, and it's like, if I do talk about it, I try to put it in a way that is relatable to a person who would not understand. They're like, well, you know, that military vehicle like accident was like years and years ago. And then in June of 2020, just five months after having surgery on my neck, on my, you know, cervical spine, uh, I was rear-ended at a stoplight. And then all of a sudden, like, the anxiety every time I got in a car and had to drive or be a passenger, it was like really, really bad. So I put myself in someone else's shoes who's never experienced what it's like to have anxiety and then try to pull examples from their life to explain it. And, and it really is a, I don't want to say it's a skill set, but it really is something you have to kind of think it out thoroughly so that you can find a way to make it more, you know, relatable to people or, or explain, like, have you ever had that moment where you thought someone was going to hit you or like something happened and you had this moment of, and like experiencing your, your heart ramping up and oh, like, yeah. like difficulty <laughs> breathing and, and everything is just like a mile a minute in your brain and everything's racing and you feel jittery and they're like, yeah, I'm like, that's anxiety but long, <laughs> like long periods. Sometimes it's all day. Some of yeah. some people have it all day long and then they have really bad flare-ups. I'm like, it's experiencing that like all the time and then figuring out all these like hacks to management, manage it on top of, you know, uh, medical health support, you know, so that you can be as balanced as you can be. So, so that's kind of, my approach is normalizing it, uh, putting a face to things. Um, like I've, I've hosted interviews with people with PTSD or anxiety, schizophrenia, and, and really normalizing and putting a face to, you know, the condition. Because once you do that, it becomes personified to people who watch it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm glad you said that too. Um, you know, about like, vocalizing it, you know, using social media and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I've had experiences where I, I mean, I'm a big music fan, you know, I love going to concerts and stuff like that. And sometimes, you know, I'll just get hit with where I need to have my back up against the wall and, and, and mm -hmm. scan the room. And I'm like, my heart's about to beat out of my chest, but I'm putting on this face so everybody can have a good time and I don't bring anybody down, but it feels like afterwards, like I just ran a marathon or something, you know, physically, I'm just like wiped out afterwards and stuff. And, you know, a lot of times I'll try and share like statistics or like, okay, you know, like lately I've been sharing stuff about fibromyalgia and the, the causes and triggers and, you know, um, so people get an understanding and I got some people be like, why you always got to post such depressing stuff, man? You know, like I'm ruining their day. You know, it's like, well, you know, because yeah, this it's is my, my day, you this is my day. This is what I live through every freaking day. And I'm just trying to, you know, make people more aware of it. You know, it's like they want you to suffer in silence sometimes. And it's so aggravating. So now that 
you know, we're getting into the main thing that we want, I wanted you to talk about. It's like, what can we do to break the stigma of fibromyalgia and chronic pain? Well, and you know, all the advocacy and like social media stuff that I do, but for your listeners, um, a big thing is, yeah, I've optimized social media and, and really, like I said, personified it with myself. Um, and putting my face out there, like the good days, the bad days, I try to cultivate and create posts that are things that people can learn, but in a tone that isn't like the whole woe is me, but like, this is like what I contend with, but today's a bad day or, you know, um, I do put the stats out there at times, but at times I might say, you know, I'm part of this group of people of, you know, statistically X amount of people, you know, suffer from fibromyalgia. Um, you know, a lot of times, yeah, I mean, it's not to say I haven't had like, you know, one of the things I learned very quickly who was really part of my tribe. And there was people I'd known since like elementary school that I had to say goodbye to because, and it's not like I post every single day five things about fibromyalgia. I have community awareness pages for that. I'll post stuff maybe once a week, if that, on my personal like social media platforms. But um, I've had people in my life that I just, you know, it was kind of like the the ship had sailed with our friendship. Like they were not going to get beyond who I am now. And that's the whole thing is as people take out chronic illness, take out PTSD, take out life circumstances, we all evolve. And when we evolve, we change and hopefully for the better, you know, sometimes we make bad decisions and we kind of change for the worse and we have to get back on the horse and make better decisions, but we all evolve. And I tell people, well, Sometimes I post stuff for my own accountability or to see my progress of where I'm, you know, going with getting monthly infusions to manage my illness. Um, you do the same thing when you're on a diet. I'm like, you post your meals every day or you post when you're having a bad day at work. And I'm like, why is it different? Take my illness out and put in one of your variables. So instead of me saying I'm having a bad flare day, if I said I'm having a bad day at work and I'm really stressed out, why is that acceptable? But why is it not acceptable that my illness at times stresses me out? But I don't post it every single day or every other day. I'm like, if you're not happy at your job, you're choosing to be unhappy. And I understand circumstances. You can't always just leave a job and we have personal responsibilities, family responsibilities. But there are some of those people that I call chronic complainers like, they Facebook their problems, if that makes sense, instead of yeah. utilizing it as a platform to grow or, or identify like issues they need to tackle. And I'm kind of like, you've been at this job for five years and you post how stressed out you are, or how much you hate it. It's like all the time it's negative. I had to unfollow you. I can't handle that much social media negativity. It, it kills my mojo and I'm trying to keep my mojo up because I'm dealing with life altering permanent circumstances with my health. So yeah, I mean, and I do have trolls and I'm a very, for those who know me well, <laughs> they know I'm a pretty uh, strong person and I don't like back down. I'm not mean, 
I don't curse people out. And I've, I've had some serious trolls and I've had people threaten me online as well, like serious threats. And, um, you know, I, I kind of am like, you know, if I go to their level, then I'm no better. And, and I have followers and people who observe and they might not necessarily, you know, like or comment on my post, but they're reading. So if I act in the same negative manner, then I just lost credibility. And then I just lost someone who was showing an invested interest in my well-being and learning about what it's like living with fibromyalgia and chronic pain and whatnot. So I had to be really cognizant how I respond because I don't want to lose the opportunity of people to learn and become more empathetic and supportive. Uh, Plus it's, it's not good having those social media no, na- it's not. nasty gram arguments. It's like, <laughs> and I've, I've, I've learned the hard way in the past like year or so. Um, but uh, before we get more into this uh, topic, like um, you want to explain to our listeners that may not know what fibromyalgia is. I will try my best. Uh, So fibromyalgia is a physical medical condition which uh, affects all parts of our body, interferes with our internal bodily systems. Um, It is an underlying neurological condition, uh, but they don't know if it's like an autoimmune disorder that is affecting the central nervous system, kind of like MS. Or if it's a like a, a neurological issue that is a central nervous central nervous system degenerative medical condition, um, there hasn't been a lot of there's some research, um, but not a lot targeting what it is and what the root causes. There's been some, and what happens is. There's some research that supports it's autoimmune. There's some research that, you know, supports it's degenerative. Um, But there's not a lot, not a lot of definitives. So we know that there's like this neurological, I'm going to say like impairment or barrier or dysfunction in our body. And it causes a whole plethora of issues. Like we experience pain. And there's no, you know, not triggered by an injury. So we experience pain from like our head to toes and it's different types of pain. It's not just necessarily like having achy muscles, but we can have nerve pain. We could um, suffer from like cluster headaches and and migraine attacks. Um, Sometimes it hurts like just touching our skin, like we're super sensitive. And, And sometimes I know myself I have to, sometimes there's like, I love to wear jeans and t-shirts, but mm, jeans, like the material, it kind of triggers like my skin sensitivity and my nerve pain. So I don't always wear jeans. Um, other things is we experience like very pervasive, uh, enveloping chronic fatigue, meaning that it doesn't matter how much we sleep or lay down we feel we wake up and we feel like we didn't sleep. And and the other mm-hmm. thing is fibromyalgia interferes with our, our sleep uh, order. Like it, it compounds and, and we don't always go into REM. 
which is a restorative healing. And, and so we don't really get into the deep sleep all the time, or if we do, it's shorter periods of time compared to people who don't have fibromyalgia. So we have this chronic fatigue and disordered sleep. We can have GI disturbances, and a lot of people with fibromyalgia develop irritable bowel syndrome. Um, so yeah, a, a brain fog or cognitive dissonance. So that is for me the most frustrating symptom. Um, I can usually push through the pain. I mean, unless if I'm in flare-ups, but the the cognitive cognitive dissonance or brain fog or fibro fog, you have difficulty recalling things. It's like you have like short-term memory impairment at times. You could be in the middle of a sentence and you're talking and you say the wrong words. I've actually yeah. said words out of order in a sentence and I sound like I'm drunk and I'm really not. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And I'm sure you've had, you've had, have oh, you yeah. experienced that? And people look at you like, what the, what are you day drinking? You're like, yeah, no, it's brain fog. Sorry. Um, or I'll just like, I'll be in the middle of one topic and then I'll like all of a sudden like lose it and be at a, a different topic. Like, you're like, well, how did those two match? You know? So. I, right. And the other thing with brain fog is people think it's just like these small instances or blips on the radar. And I'm like, no, it's, it's kind of all day, all, all the time, but it's worse. You know, if we're like in high pain levels or, or mm -hmm. our fatigue is really bad or we're stressed out, it gets worse. Um, and it's almost like you're trying to navigate and interpret and com communicate with the world with like this opaque film over your brain. And like, we could see the outline of something, but not necessarily all the details. And I'm like that, you know, trying to put it in a physical analogy to get, it's like, we have this film over our brain. So yeah, there's times I'd be talking to my mom and she'll be like, do you remember? And I'll be like, no, it's like blank slate blank slate, or if I can't recall the name of something, um, like I was able to, even though I don't have like brain trauma, I was able to do a pilot program for like poly trauma training of the brain, um, to see if it would help me with brain fog in particular with recalling things when I forgot stuff. So I've learned to like, if I can't, think of a name I have learned like automatically now, like to describe it or, or substituting a word for something that's similar to what I'm trying to say. So though, yeah. So the, the big three with fibromyalgia is chronic pain, brain fog, chronic fatigue, and there's all these other symptoms. And then a lot of people with fibromyalgia, we develop like coexisting, or um, secondary medical conditions like irritable bowel syndrome, uh, Raynaud's syndrome, uh, castriochondritis, which is inflammation of the cartilage in between your ribs, um, anxiety mm. and depression. Um, unfortunately, a huge stigma that you brought up earlier is even in the medical world, this is still pervasive despite all the tangible physical evidence and research that fibromyalgia is a very real tangible physical medical condition. Um, that there's this ongoing stigma that it's a mental health condition and, and it's getting better, uh, where people are recognizing, no, it's not. But what happens is anxiety and depression are very common with fibromyalgia, but it's, 
at no higher rate compared to any other chronic illness, not even cancer. So that's kind of a struggle. People don't like to talk about their struggle with their emotional, uh, like wellness or managing anxiety and depression because of that stigma. A lot of people stay away from it. But yeah, so it's not just having fibromyalgia. We It interferes with all of your internal bodily systems. So we end up with a plethora of medical conditions on top of the fibromyalgia and the symptoms and then weird stuff like fibromyalgia interferes with the hypothalamus, which, you know, controls your body temperature. So our body, internal body temperature can go all wacko. And like mine typically is low. Like when I had pneumonia in 2020, my temperature with like full-blown bad pneumonia, I was like in the ER with it, was 96.3. Mm-hmm. And that's that's with a, an infection in my body. So, and then some people run hot, like super hot. And that's just our norm. So there you go. That's a- Yeah, I kind of <laughs> run high sometimes. But, uh, you know, when I was researching, you know, this for myself, it seems like, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, um, you know, not being recognized as being a female veteran. Um, it seems like fibromyalgia seems to be um, more affecting females or just less men have come out and been diagnosed with it. So like we're the minority with that, you know, and I had to like really advocate for myself with the VA, mm-hmm. you know, to get that, you know, that, that diagnosis for them to and jump through some hoops with the rheumatologist and all this stuff for them to finally like, look at, okay. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, and then once they died, gave you the diagnosis, they were like, okay, well, if you served in these areas then you're pretty much, you know, but still it was just such a, um, struggle, I guess, I guess, you know, I don't know. And like you said, I think more, maybe it's more like men just not, coming in and admitting that's what, you know, we, our pride and ego gets in the way or whatever too. There's some of that, but you brought up such a great point being a man living with fibromyalgia. And I, I'm actually tackling that and breaking the stigma. Um, in the middle of uh, January, 2022, rolling out informational videos on different topics and, um, you know, I've done a lot of interviews so far, pre-recorded 12, um, and everybody uh, has fibromyalgia. And half of those individuals are men. And some of them are veterans, male veterans living with fibromyalgia, and some are non-veterans living with fibromyalgia. And there's, and this is a very uh, pervasive, uh, hard-to-break stereotype that fibromyalgia is predominantly a woman's illness. And that's not the case. There's actually statistical research. Thank you, Dr. Claw, where they found, and this research has been uh, duplicated. So it wasn't like they just did this study one time, but they found approximately 40% of fibromyalgia sufferers are men. And, and this statistical research has been duplicated with the same uh, estimated percentage. And it was, also theorized that that 
It actually could be more men have fibromyalgia, but due to being misdiagnosed or lack of self-reporting. And so this idea that fibromyalgia is a woman's illness, this creates a systemic issue for men, for individuals in the LP, uh, LBGTQ community, for children. There's research out there that shows statistical research, which shows one to two percent of people suffering with fibromyalgia are actually children and adolescents. So it creates this uh, intersectionality of inequity in healthcare and society when they constantly are saying it's a woman illness. And that creates barriers to individuals such as yourself, because that idea trickles over into the medical health field. So your doctors are not necessarily going to think, oh, it's fibromyalgia, because in the in their mind, it's like, oh, it's predominantly a woman's illness. And then you're dealing with inequities in healthcare and not getting what you need in a timely manner or the appropriate treatment or understand, you know, medical providers that understand. So I, I'm so glad you brought that up because you are like a minority in this situation where, yes, there are less men, but not as low as people think. And then you're dealing with systemic barriers of inequity in society and in relationships and in healthcare. And, and sometimes it's discriminatory and it's a huge, huge issue. And it's one I I'm really big on promoting on younger individuals and have, uh, you know, amplified the voices of, of like teenagers and very young adults with fibromyalgia and very big on amplifying the voices of men living with fibromyalgia and individuals in the LBGTQ community living with fibromyalgia. Because at the end of the day, while we get discriminated against, fibromyalgia does not discriminate. It can afflict anyone at any age, at any time, socioeconomic status, color, race, religion, creed, wherever you live in the world, it don't matter. So while we experience these barriers and systemic inequities, fibromyalgia is like games on. I don't discriminate against anyone. And and today you're going to have fibro. And you're, so they're like Oprah instead of passing <laughs> the flowers. They're like, and you have fibro and you have fibro. Yeah. So, and it's not a well, rare condition either. So that's the I, other stigma. I'm a, uh... You know, and another reason why I'm so glad that we're having this discussion and putting this out there. I mean, for me personally, and this has my been my journey. And and you know, like I said, I I got hit with the with the cold temperature train, you know, recently that you know flared everything up and reminded me. But you know, there's a lot of emotional pain that comes, not just the physical pain of having fibromyalgia, but you know either you're being, you know, looked at as you're being lazy when you have your days of you're drained and you can't, you know, give what you have. You know, I've been in the physical pain I've had, you know, like after deployment where for the longest time I just sat around on the couch and just didn't want to move and go and do anything. And then I put on weight and then just like, I, I wasn't living life, but the pain pains there. And, and then you, in your head, you, you kind of like, well, this is my new normal, you know, which I hate hearing the new normal, but this is my new normal. So I'm just going to have to live like this. And I finally did some mental health work to get out and start at physical activity again and doing things that I know that exercise does help. It's, it's a lot harder. Sometimes you have to really even will yourself to show up at the gym, which I wish, you know, more. I wish like some of my 
teammates and friends that I, I work out and train with, I guess I, I want this to be like an informational thing for them because, you know, I got into jujitsu. It's something I've wanted to do for a long time. And, and I, I, I do enjoy it. And the pain which you know, the pain's been tolerable in the warmer temps. And, you know, so you're doing something that's physical and you got more people, you know, I mean, it's just like a lot of, but I'm like, whatever, I'm hurting anyway. I'm hurting from this. I'm hurting from that. I might as well hurt doing something that's helping me grow and helping me get better and helping me drop weight, helping me, you know, get to a better goal. But then all of a sudden it's like, they don't realize like there's days where it's just like, man, I had to do, it took everything just to show up to practice Mm -hmm. tonight. It took everything to just show up to, to exercise tonight. And, 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 you know, I let the, the, I guess my ego and pride or just, you know, maybe not speaking up, you know, where I got burnt out. And then because of the autoimmune part of it, all of a sudden I'm getting physically sick and I got to, my body's like, you got to stop. You got to take some time off. And this winter has reminded me, you know, I haven't been training in, in, in a couple of weeks now and I miss it and I want to get back to it, but I just, I need to take this time to recoup. And it's like, it's hard to get your, it's frustrating trying to get your teammates and people that don't know, you know, that you're not being lazy. You're not just, you're not quitting. You know, you just, sometimes you just got to take the time to. You're recovering. Yeah. You're recovering from a flare up and that, and that's the whole thing. And, And that's a huge, it's a huge, huge stigma and stereotype that people with fibromyalgia are lazy. It's even more so for men because of the cultural, uh, miss expectations of men having to be the breadwinner and having to be tough and suck it up and drive on. And I'm like, no, that doesn't work. And, and when that, when you're promoting that mentality, you're actually compounding someone's like overall self-efficacy and self-worth because you have this expectation, which is unrealistic for someone who is chronically ill and that understanding that, you know, I have this same mentality that I hurt if I'm sitting, I hurt if I'm standing, I hurt if I'm laying down. So I'm going to, at least if I'm going to hurt, I'm going to try to do something that's good for me. And it doesn't necessarily mean like I'm going to the gym. I could just go on a nature walk or do some yoga or meditation. And and I like to say therapeutic movement or, or physical activity versus exercise, just because, when you have a chronic illness, whether it's fibromyalgia or, or another condition, exercise has become a negative connotation um, because like medical providers or people around us or society do not understand that it's kind of like hardcore exercising, even moderate. It's like oil and water with us. And so we have to take it at our own pace and create our own kind of like um, holistic and and I mean that as in W-H-O-L-E, like a whole person approach with managing, including the physical activity we we uh, engage in. And you and I were both in the military, so we were really physically active. I used to, back in the day, hike 10 miles and no big deal with my dogs. And now I'm like, Phew, a mile some days. I'm like, Mm-mm. and it's a slow pace. I'm not speed walking, but it's also better than nothing. And And I always tell people like, well, I have only so many energy pennies. So, and when I run out, unlike you, 
I can't tap into reserves. I don't have any reserves and the bank's not giving me a loan. So I have less energy pennies when I wake up than you do. So, but I, I need to complete the same amount of tasks as you do with less. So sometimes I have to do a balancing act and choose what I can or cannot do. And then if I'm in a flare up, I need to recover. I need to recover so I can build up those energy pennies so I can better manage the chronic pain and the brain fog and the fatigue and, and, and still try to have some uh, semblance of a life or, or get what I need done. And that there's a lot of times we have to choose what we need to do versus what we want to do, because we don't have the same amount of energy pennies as someone who is not, uh, living with a medical condition. And, and so like, yeah, it's like, uh, I'm going to vacuum my house today. That's going to take where a normal person that might be one or two energy pennies, that's going to be three or four for me because I'm already waking up you know, we wake up and our battery is only half full. It's like our, our system is defunct. We can't get fully charged because of the disordered sleep and the chronic pain, which keeps us up or wakes us up. Um, And then all the other symptoms that our energy and immune system, all of our immunity soldiers, they're focused on managing our, our medical health symptoms with fibromyalgia. So we have less energy waking up. So you wake up, it's like plugging in your cell phone. You wake up in the morning and it's hundred percent charged. And we wake up our battery. It's like, we have a, a, a defunct cell phone battery that it only charges to 50%. Sometimes we're lucky it's 70. Sometimes it's 30. And we have to accomplish all those routine expectations in day-to-day life as a person who doesn't have an illness. So yeah, yeah that's kind of break it down. You know, and that's like uh, another reason why I'm so glad we're having this discussion. Cause it's like, you know, it, there's a lot of times where mentally it, it like, I beat myself up too, because mm-hmm. it's like, I can't, you know, I mean, even when my, when I came home and my kids were still younger and they wanted to run around and do things and that dad just couldn't, do all the things that he wanted to do with his kids. And then you start telling yourself you're before I even got the diagnosis and we're trying to figure out what's wrong. You're just like in your head, just, you think Mm -hmm. you're the biggest piece of crap. So when you're, you know, to get to where I'm at now and trying to train, it's like, I want, I need to educate, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in jujitsu. There's a lot of alphas in jujitsu, you know, Mm -hmm. and God bless them that they can do what they, what they do, you know? But trying to, I mean, let them know that, man, me coming, just showing up tonight, man, you know, should be commended instead of like, you know, you got to be more mentally tough or quit making excuses and stuff like that. I mean, that would, you know, that boot camp stuff maybe got me through boot camp, but now I'm dealing with a whole nother monster, man. So it's like it took all the mental toughness I had to to walk in the door tonight, you know, Mm -hmm. and what I have left to try and give, I'm going to give my best. You know, but it's just like, it's still it, a lot. There's been so many times I've been like, maybe, I, maybe this just isn't for me. Maybe I should quit. And I don't want to, because it's something I've been enjoying. I just got to realize, and I've had this time off to kind of like mentally realize like, okay, you know, acceptance, like I'm in recovery too. So acceptance is huge that I'm, I'm, I'm an addict and I can't drink anymore. You know, well, accepting the fact that you know, I'm, I have fibromyalgia and I can't compete 
or train at the levels that a lot of my teammates and people that I'm in there with are able to, you know, and if, if you're cool with me still showing up and, and doing, doing my best and maybe not keeping up with you guys, then, uh, you know, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. But it's in my head. It's always like I'm beating myself up. Like, cause I'm that comparison game too. Cause you want, you want to have what they have, you know? Right. And it's and been, it, man, it's just it's been a double it, whammy for us because we have that societal like mentality or expectation and that it's like compounded because we were both in the military and that is like a way of life in the military it's like you know you pull yourself up by the bootstraps you suck it up and you drive on and you know yeah, there's some dirt on it <laughs> and, right right here's some ibuprofen here's your ranger pills <laughs> drink some water um you'll be fine that broken bone will yeah. be fixed though. Just, uh, but uh, we, there is that double whammy. And then for you, it's like a triple whammy being a man that has those societal expectations of what society thinks a man should be. And, and it's really interesting because even with the shift of our um, family dynamics where there's way more single parents and single women, you know, and single individuals having children and raising them on their own, um, there's still that pervasive stigma about men. And it's like, well, look at all these, you know, individuals who are single parenting and they're not a man and they're not necessarily being held to the same ideals as what a societal expectation is for men. And that's a huge like disparity in like cultural thinking is that there's a lot of, you know, non-male individuals who are doing the single parenting thing and working sometimes two jobs, sometimes three, sometimes working full time and going to school to make a better life for themselves and their kids. And they're not, they're not uh, put through or, or basically exposed to that mentality as much as a man would be. And that's, that's a problem with societal norms is that they become a staple in our culture and our life. And, and it's like, we, we're not having enough discussions to break all those uh, misgivings and misinformation and stereotypes and, and cultural norms that need to be basically abolished. Yeah. It's like even in 2022, it's like we're not learning. It's like we're we're like the hamster in the wheel that keeps running and running and running and getting nowhere. That's how I like, feel like my head is at times. Yeah. Oh well, yeah, me too. Plus, I'm blind. You know, it doesn't help. But uh, it's like we know all these things, but we keep doing the same thing. What was it? Uh, was it Einstein? Insanity. Or yeah, it's doing the same things over and over, expecting different results. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. We're there culturally with a lot of things, whether it's mental health, fibromyalgia, uh, politics, uh, economics, uh, you know, world events and issues. Uh, we'll say, oh, this problem has got to change. We need to change this. But yet we're using the same, uh, same approaches to try yeah. to solve a problem that has not worked for millennia. So we have to get comfortable with change so that we can institute that change. And we're not there yet as a society, as a world. It's like, we talk about change, but we're comfortable where we're at. 
Hey, baby, this is Double D, also known as Dream Daddy. And I gotta tell y'all something about our new sponsorship here at today's Boondoggle. And the name is Dream Nutrition. So if you're looking to empower your human vitality, well, then you come to the right place. With over 12 years of combined experience in cannabinoids and terpene products, Dream Nutrition products include CBD oils, patches, protein, and so much more. The endocannabinoid system is believed to have involvement in regulating physiological and cognitive processes, including the immune system, appetite, pain sensation, mood, memory, and in mediating the pharmacological effects of cannabis. Support this veteran-owned and operated company today, and today's Boondoggle fans will receive 10% off their orders when using the promo code BOONDOG10 at checkout. That's B-O-O-N-D-O-G-10 at checkout. So go to the link. That's dreamnutrition.com forward slash discount forward slash BOONDOG10. And remember, dream is not spelled like dream daddy. It's spelled D-R-E-E-M. And start saving today because you deserve to feel your best. And you know that's right. So tell them Dream Daddy and your friends from today's Boondog sent you. I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to ask you too. I mean, it's kind of good segue into talk about some of the me- medication like horror stories that maybe you might have dealt with when dealing with fibromyalgia, I know me, myself, there was a point where the VA had put me on this gabapentin mm-hmm. and it really messed me up big time where there is a point where I forget. I didn't, I didn't renew my, my uh, prescription in time before a weekend. And it was like going through, like, I, I can only imagine what like a heroin withdrawal would have been. You know, yeah. how it affected me uh, by not staying on top of it. So eventually after that, I was able to, you know, what's it called? Uh, slowly get myself off it when you taper off and yeah. stuff. But I mean, there's been some medication that they give you that you later find out is probably the worst thing you could be doing for your yourself to take. I don't know. if Is there, have you experienced any of that too? Well, so gabapentin, Lyrica, uh, Neurotin, Tobamax, they're pretty commonly prescribed for fibromyalgia. And they are a uh, kind of being used off-label, as they call it, um, or being repurposed for fibromyalgia because those are actually anti-convulsant medications. And it's not uncommon to repurpose a med for another medical condition. So I'm not seeing that. I mean, I've seen... Um, like anti-convulsant medications be, well, I worked in, you know, real quick, I worked in uh, social services, uh, well over 20 years in the mental health and intellectual, uh, developmental disability fields. And, uh, you know, working with individuals with mental health conditions that, you know, had mood disorders, it wasn't uncommon to prescribe an anti-convulsant to help with mood stabilization. 
Uh, gabapentin, Lyrica, uh, some of those medications, the withdrawal is just as harsh as heroin. In some countries, uh, it, gabapentin is on a what they consider a controlled drug because the withdrawal is so bad if you miss a dose. Uh, personally, some of those, typically the class of meds that are prescribed, the top two tier meds prescribed for fibromyalgia are antidepressants or anticonvulsants. I was prescribed Lyrica and I broke out with like this crazy kind of like streaky rash. And then they took me off of that and put me on Neurotin. And I had the same experience, but it was worse. And I was like hives and, and just, it was bad. It looks like I literally had like a, an infection under my skin. Like when that happens, it can look streaky red. So they took me off of that and they put me on a third anticonvulsant Topamax. And by that point, my reaction to it, and I wasn't on these meds for a long time. I'm talking about like the Topamax. I was like not even on for a week. And literally my neck swelled up. I had no neck. I looked like one of those big beefy bodybuilders at the gym. Like, no neck. <laughs> you know, like literally I have pictures and it was crazy. Like I was Frankenstein's wife or something. The bride of Frankenstein. No, and I, I had to go to the emergency room. They were like, oh, you're allergic. Like when they looked through my history, tried three meds of the same class and anticonvulsant and my reaction was more severe. And they were like, you can't take anticonvulsants. Like next time, if you take an anticonvulsant, your throat might close. Like each instant it got worse. So they had a, they put me on IV fluids and flush it out. So I can't take anticonvulsants. The other class of meds they typically use the top two antidepressants. So for fibromyalgia, Cymbalta and Civella are like FDA approved and, and, and other meds can be prescribed like Diloxetine and, and some other antidepressants. Well, I tried Cymbalta. I was only on it for like less than three weeks, a very low dose. And I started to get these, uh, brain zap experiences, like this weird yeah, symptom. Yeah. And, it felt like I was getting like, kind of like shocked. Like, you know how you walk across the room and you touch a doorknob, you get shocked. I was having that in my head. Yeah. Like in my brain. I experienced it was, that. Yeah. It was getting worse and worse and worse. And I, I ended up like calling my doctor. They got me in that day. And then they sent me down to the ER because I was experiencing serotonin syndrome, which is a very serious side effect of antidepressants. And like, if it goes unchecked, it actually can lead to like seizures and death. And I was and I was only on 40 milligrams. And I know some people that are like on 160 or whatever. So they're like, you can't take that. So I'm have either allergic or have had severe reactions to the two tiers of typical meds for fibromyalgia. Now, do I know people that take those meds and they, they sing high praises? Yes. And, and do I know people who have horror stories? Yes. But guess what? That's the norm with any medical condition and any pharmaceutical, like pharmaceutical approach in treating symptoms. Um, and, and one particular med for a medical condition may work for one person, but doesn't work for another. So they have to take a different medication. Like if you look at diabetes and some of even mental health conditions, the variety of like psychotropic medications or the variety of medications to treat the symptoms and treat diabetes, there's a ton or heart conditions, different heart conditions. Um, and that's because we're all metabolically different in how we process our meds, like a thumbprint. We all have thumbprints, but our print is unique to us. So 
while one medication might work for one person, it might metabolize poorly or not at all, or they gain a lot of weight or a lot of side effects. So like, I don't want to bash uh, medications per se. Um, like my brother, he had leukemia as a child and he developed cardiomyopathy and needed a heart transplant. So if it wasn't for medications keeping him alive, you know, but then there's instances where a medication approach is not good for a person. And that's when you got to work with your treatment team to find other options along with incorporate all these other modalities that we can do on our own to manage our physical being and our, our emotional and mental well-being. So and I definitely wanted to, that, that was the next thing I wanted to talk to you about too, um, and get, um, you know, see what might, uh, have worked for you. I know on this journey, I mean, just as a whole, like you said, as the holistic approach, since I, uh, retired from the military, you know, I've been on like, I'm not a big fan of, because of some of the reactions I've had with certain medications mm -hmm. and stuff. So I've looked at alternative methods of healing and I've gone through a lot of different, you know, experiences for, you know, healing with my mental health, and, you know, as well as the physical, but what kind of alternative treatments have you tried that you have experienced success with or heard other people have had some success with or just in, in success? I mean, just like relief that day, you know, because mm -hmm. any little bit of relief we can get for a little bit, you know, is a success, I think, from when we're having a flare up in pain. But has there been anything out there that you've tried that has worked for you that you recommend? for the audience or have heard other people? Well, I won't, like I said, I'm not necessarily going to recommend because everybody's different, but this is what has helped me. And number one is my frame of thinking, which some people are like, how is that like a treatment modality approach that I can manage? Reframing your thinking can help get through those difficult days, those flare up days. Cause in the beginning, you're like, oh, my God, is this ever going to end? I feel like I'm dying. I don't want to deal with this anymore. And then you finally come to the realization and acceptance that this is lifelong. And, and do I want to stay stuck in that frame of thinking of like, oh, my gosh, oh, my da da da, this, you know, sucks. And it does suck. I'm not trying to take away like how much suckitude it is living with fibromyalgia or some other chronic pain, chronic illness condition. But this is my lot in life. So I have two choices. I can try to reframe my thinking to better manage emotionally when those symptoms are acting like a jerk, right? Um, so that's that's number one. And I'm not saying like I'm like this like toxic positivity, rah-rah, sis, boom, bob, but I'm positive I will get through this flare up. It, it, it will pass. I mean, it might pass yeah. like a kidney stone, but I know this too shall pass. <laughs> they all, it always, I always get through it. It's not that it's fun. I'm miserable, but I, I've been able to reframe my thinking instead of being so focused on the duration and how bad it is, like thinking like this will eventually get better and I won't be feeling as bad. So that's a huge thing. And the other thing is, our neurons and our brain change. If we stay focused on negative, like we're, we're literally killing our neurons. So if we can reframe our thinking, like I said, I'm not saying positivity, but being more like objective and how we interpret and internalize our symptoms, we can basically regrow those neurons so that we're not 
like literally, like you can rewire your brain so that it becomes more focused on negativity, negative yeah, stuff. But you can you can change that and fix it and heal it yourself just by reframing your thinking. It take a, a little bit of time, but yeah. So that's like the big thing, like not getting stuck on that whole "this sucks, my life is horrible." I I, I will say, okay, this is bad right now, but maybe tomorrow or maybe next week it won't be bad. So that's the number one approach. Is how yeah, I yeah, I've definitely been, um, you know, and I'm still working on it, but. Uh, I've been that stuck in the negative for the longest time when I stayed stuck on the couch and everything too. And it took a lot of working on my mental health just to get to the place where I was finally like, Hey, I found a trainer and I was just like, Hey, I need help. I need accountability. I need to, you know, and, and he even said, I mean, everything you just said, he's been on me about too, is this about what you put in your brain, you get out, you know, so you keep feeding it negativity. It's just going to be negativity. So that's why like, when I got out yesterday, even though it still hurt, my legs were killing me and, you know, but I, I got out and was feeling, you know, moving. And I was like, this too shall pass was like my post. Right. I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm making progress. I'm moving forward. So I don't get it right all the time, but that's been a key thing right now late that I've been dealing with lately. So I'm glad you brought that right. up. You're feeding the monster if you stay fixated on that negative thinking and again, for anyone listening or anyone struggling with any medical health, mental health condition, I'm not trying to downplay the seriousness or how hard it is. It is a struggle. I mean, I, I've had a flare up once that lasted almost six months and it was mm. bad. And I literally thought I was dying. This was years ago. And it was at that moment that I was like, okay, um, they're not helping me medically um, because they can't, because I'm allergic to all these meds or bad reactions. So I got to figure something else. And that was kind of like the switch because like, I felt like I was living with a vice around my body, you know, squeezing my ribs and, and, and feeling like my muscles were on fire. And, and like, when you touched my skin, it felt like you were pressing in like a contusion or a really bad bruise. So reframing yeah. your thinking. So you're not feeding that monster that keeps you in that negative space. Right. The other thing, speaking of feeding, is I'm really uh, particular about like uh, your uh, trainer and guru is like what you feed your brain is fuel and what you fuel it with is going to be the outcome. It's the same thing with how I eat. So what you put in your body could make um, a difference when you're living with fibromyalgia or another chronic illness. I also have arthritis and degenerative disc disease and degenerative joint, you know, <laughs> disorder and all this other stuff, which causes a lot of inflammation. So if I'm eating foods that are known to like compound or increase inflammation in your body, that's not necessarily a smart choice because I have medical conditions that cause inflammation. So I'm taking food that is going to make my inflammation worse. And then I feel worse. And then I have IBS. So if I'm eating certain foods that trigger that um, IBS symptoms, then I'm more miserable. And I uh, just put out a video, informational video today. My friend, Danielle Turco, she has lupus. She's a thriver. She's like certified in everything, like certified in um, like a, keto nutrition coach and certified in uh reiki and and she's like a health wellness and lifestyle certified coach nice. and she's 
also internationally certified to not only teach, but train other people in yoga. So like she's this, she's amazing. And I actually just dropped her video today and we're talking, we talk a lot about like you're feeding the monster. And I brought up like one of the things with irritable bowel syndrome, I was really um, drinking a lot of diet soda and it, it aggravated my IBS to the point at one point in 2011, late 2011, I had to go to the emergency room. And, and that was a great metaphorical reality bat to the face. I had to quit cold turkey. And I, we talk about how certain things as though they're delicious, they're not necessarily yeah. the best thing for our body when living with these conditions. Cause it, it's not saying if I take out the foods from my diet that aggravate my fibromyalgia, arthritis, or IBS, that I'm going to be cured or I'm going to be leaps and bounds better. No, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is when I keep those things consistently in my diet, I'm making myself leaps and bounds worse to yep. the point where I put myself to the emergency room. So yeah, there I've, you know, had modified my eating habits and I, right now, um, I'm actually doing a 90 day healthy vegan eating challenge. Now, no, no, no. So I'm not a vegan per se. I mean, cheese is delicious. Okay. But, <laughs> but so my friends were originally, they're doing a 60 day challenge. And one of the things that my friend Danielle, we talked about this in her interview is that it really takes 90 days to establish a habit in your mind, and your body, whether positive or negative. Right. So I, I challenged back. I said, well, let's do 90 days. And here's the reason why then they're like, okay, we're going to do vegetarian. And I was like, that's too easy for me. Cause I am actually like a partial vegetarian. I don't eat a lot of meat. And for 15 years, I was a strict vegetarian. I was like, this isn't going to be a challenge for me. So let's do vegan for 90 days, right? Now, cheese is delicious. Cheese also can compound inflammation at your IBS. So yeah. they started this February 1st. So six days ago, I started January 30th. And within a week, not having dairy, I've noticed a difference now, not to say I don't want my pizza. I want it. I want it. I tried pizza with the vegan cheese. Mm -mm, sorry. I'm part Sicilian pizza is Mecca in my world. And, and I tried and I was like, it ain't the same. Mm -mm, you can't fool me with this garbage. I mean, it's not bad, but it's just not pizza, but I've noticed a huge difference not having dairy for a week. So again, and what works for one person, like, People can eat dairy and they're fine. There's nightshade foods that are known. They call them nightshades. You can Google nightshade foods. Um, and, and they're known to kind of like compound IBS or inflammation and whatnot. Some of those nightshade foods I'm fine with. I can eat eggplants, one of them, tomatoes, one of them, garlic's one of them, onion. I'm like, thank goodness I can eat those things because if I can't have my homemade spaghetti sauce, I, mm -mm, I'm just mm -mm, done. Done. No, I'm just kidding. But there's other foods on that list I can't eat, like an apple. Mm -mm. Like, it's bad. Like, I feel like I'm dying if I eat apples. So again, it's wow. out. It's bad. It's bad, bad, bad. It, I'm. Mm -mm. It's. Mm -mm. See, like, I, I, would, I know I, for I, me, like, uh, I've you know I've noticed after having anything like bread, you know, or you know sugar. I've even. I mean, there was a point with with sugar and chocolates where it was like. I had to apply the same type of recovery that I do with alcohol to 
you know, trying like it's an addict. It was an addiction, but it was pouring fire on my inflammation and stuff. So it's like, I'm not completely like off sugar, but I know I, I, I'm more um, cognizant of, you know, I can't have that. And like, you know, like I've avoided like breads and, and uh, stuff like that. And then recently, then I had a piece and then I felt it right away. And now it's just like, okay, can't have, you know, so yeah, it, definitely food is, is, has been a huge, huge thing for sure. Right. And I'm still learning like what, what I can get away with, but I have been doing like a lot more like, you know, vegetables and less, mm-hmm. you know, uh, any kind of like carb, like pasta, bread, Right. And the thing of it is, is people will ask me, what do you follow? What do you do? What works for you? And I'm like, I can tell you, but it doesn't mean it's going to work for you because again, our bodies are like a thumbprint. They're very individualized. So some things might be helpful. Some things may not. So it's kind of like a trial and error. It's, a, you know, kind of getting that information about learning. Listening like, to your body, learning to listen. Listening to your body. That's part of the trial and error. And sometimes that trial and error is not fun. But no. taking the information, like if you're living with a medical condition that causes information inflammation, then researching online or speaking with a nutritionist or dietitian, not a medical provider, uh, because your registered dietitians and certified nutritionists, they're the experts in that. So while doctors have some knowledge, go to the experts. It's the same thing. People ask about medications and they'll ask their doctor or the nurse or, or their health and wellness coach. And I'm like, go to the pharmacist. That's what they went to school for all those years. They know everything. That's their job, right? So go to the right people or do the research online and say, okay, I have IBS. So what is an IBS friendly diet or friendly foods or what are nightshade foods? And then figure out what you can like or cannot eat on that list. And, you know, coffee's on that list. And thank goodness coffee wow. doesn't affect me because I don't know. I'd be like, yeah, I have coffee every morning. Baby. Angry if I couldn't have coffee. <laughs> Yeah, I start my day with coffee and I, you know, I was reading, but like you said, we're all everything, everyone's individual. I, I haven't, ex- you know, like too much caffeine will get me like jittery and stuff. So it's like, I'm a one cup of coffee guy, but mm-hmm. man, I haven't noticed, you know, if there's anything else or any other reasons why I shouldn't have coffee. I've read a lot that, you know, if you get the right coffee, coffee can be good for digestion and stuff like that. You could, I mean, in a lot of European countries, like they drink coffee after a meal, heavy meal, because it helps relax like the gut and all that stuff. But again, we're like a thumbprint. We all respond differently. So, you know, I tell people maybe if you're too jittery with a regular cup of coffee, buy decaf and regular and mix it. See how you respond. And if you're like, nah, it still doesn't work, but I love coffee, then I'm like, and eh, then maybe do decaf, you know? And the other thing is if you're, uh, if you have a negative like reaction to coffee, a lot of people are like, I'm switching to tea. And I'm like, a lot of teas actually have more caffeine than coffee. So again, that's about research. Become your own expert and, and research online, talk to the correct people and, and get the information so you can make a well-informed decision on what's going to work for you and your lifestyle. And, and then the other thing I incorporate, obviously, like I try to be mindful and keep my frame of thinking at a good, you know, 
mindset and then I am aware of what I'm eating. And don't get me wrong, I do treat myself. I do treat myself, not right now during the 90-day vegan diet eating whatever challenge. I'm not eating pizza, but I'm telling you, the first day after this is over with, I'm like... I'm ordering an extra large with all the toppings and, and I'm sticking with this uh, thing because this challenge, because there's $500 on the line and I'm going to use that money to buy $500 worth of pizza when I win. So, <laughs> but the point is, is knowing what works best for you, work on your frame of thinking, um, be mindful of self-care, you know, things that make you feel good. So I do meditate. Um, it don't work for everybody. And I, I'm not going to say, well, you should, you know, there's people out there that are like meditating fixes everything. No, it helps with everything, but there's some mm -hmm. people like I have a friend who has severe ADHD and meditating is like not yeah, going to work I'm for that out. person. And, and so what, again, it helps me, but not necessarily everybody. And self-care can be something as simple as you and I are both into music. I, I grew up singing and, you know, on stage and, and, you know, doing all those competitions and all that fun stuff and doing musicals and, uh, singing for me is self-care. And there's times I'm in my car and I'm, I'm belting it out. Like I'm Diana Ross or something. And I've had people <laughs> drive by like, Oh, she's living her best life. I've had people like take video. Cause I'm all like, yeah, doesn't mean I'm singing really well, but I'm having a good old time. And I do it at home and, I have two dogs, which is therapeutic for me and uh, helps me establish a routine. I have to get up and let them out. I have to feed them. I have to get them physical activity. Does that mean taking them on a walk every day? Not necessarily because of my health, but maybe going out and playing fetch with them. So a lot of times when we look at our medical well-being and mental well-being, we get stuck on what the health community and medical professionals tell us, and we forget to look at all these other things. And I tell people, do what makes you happy. You know, do things within your wheelhouse that, that brightens your mood. I lay down every day for an hour, sometimes two hours. And um, I don't necessarily sleep, but I'm allowing my muscles to rest. Mm -hmm. Because if I keep pushing and keep pushing, I'm going to put myself in a flare-up. So, I mean, those are some things I do do yoga, but not like that crazy high impact or hot yoga. That's just dumb. I'm like, I oh, don't, mm -mm. but I do it more so that I can kind of get centered with myself, balance, work on my stretching and also my physical balance. But yeah. And again, physical movement, and it doesn't mean you have to go to the gym. It, it could mean that you want to start incorporating physical activity to work towards a goal of better health within your means and your circumstances with your medical condition, then start walking, you know, seven minutes outside in one direction at a slow pace, you know, time yourself and then turn around. And then you got almost 15 minutes in our mind. We're used to the way our body was before. And we want to, you know, hit the gym and, and pump up the 300 pound yeah. weights and, and that, mentality is there in our mind. And that kind of goes back to reframing our thinking and accepting and understanding and working with what we got mentally, yep. how we view what we can do physically. But if you go to the gym and you get on the treadmill or the elliptical for 15 minutes, and then you do some lightweight repetitions with lightweights for another 15 minutes, you got 30 minutes in and you're doing awesome. So don't like, bite off more than you can chew when you want to incorporate like therapeutic movement 
or physical activity when you're first starting out, be realistic. You know, you're even in my best health, I was like never one that was like, I want to run a marathon. I'm going to start running. Why I joined the army, I don't know, but whatever. So I'm not one of those people. So that would never be a realistic goal for me to be running because I hate it because I ran track. It was just funny. People are like, you hate running, but you ran a track. I'm like, I was a sprinter. My body's conditioned for, for speed and sprinting, not long distance. So, but now it'd be totally unrealistic for me to be like, I'm going to jog a mile. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not physically. No, I'm not mentally. That was one of those things. I, my mind's not into it. My body's not going to get into it. And I was like, no, thank you. That's just not a torture I want. I'll get on an elliptical instead. <laughs> Yeah, that's been my struggle right now with, you know, I've had this time off from jujitsu and it's just like, you know, it's something that, you know, I, I really enjoyed, but it's just like having to accept the fact that I'm not at the level a lot of those people are and, um, you know, pushing myself has been like to try and be, you know, I've got the wake up call with the way my body reminds me when I get sick mm-hmm. and puts me out. So it's like, maybe I did bite off more than I can chew, but hopefully there's a way I could still be a part of and do at my pace, you know, cause we got a lot of competitive people at our gym. I mean, a lot of people come from other gyms to ours. So I'm like there with like some of the top team people. <clears throat> and, uh, I don't know, I guess I just got to just have that talk and be like, okay, man, look, don't expect, <laughs> You can show them this, this podcast, you know, you can share this with them. But again, it's also kind of like I used to kickbox for years and I love it, man. Is it a great workout? Full body, you burn a lot of calories. You feel, I'm always like, I feel like a man afterwards, you know, (laughs) like I miss it. I miss it. Not to say I can't, I can't drop. I I mean, I still got a nasty, you know, right hook. I'm not going to lie. You know, I, I can't, if I push come to shove, if I needed to throw, yeah, I could throw it down. But can I do that now? No, but there's certain things like honest, honestly, I've taken like uh, classes in the past pre COVID, like modified yoga. I've attended like physical fitness classes designed for senior citizens. I like, I don't care. I have no shame. I think I like whatever. I, I find a way to make it fun and, and find like an like optimistic view to it. I've actually, I got the, uh, Got it on Groupon, believe it or not, therapeutic Tai Chi. Nice. And it was like in, uh, we're, out, we're outside of Cleveland, Ohio. So it was like in the Broadview Heights area. It was like five years ago. Man, I, I and it was designed for, you know, Seniors. individuals that are like 55 and up. And I was like 40 at the time. And I was like, I don't care because it might benefit me. It's something new. I feel like I need to try something at least three times because my philosophy is either it's either three strikes it's out or third time's a charm. So I was like, well, I don't want to drop a lot of money, but there was a Groupon for it. So I was able to get like 10 classes and I, I was great. And I did learn a lot. And there's a lot of techniques that I still utilize today. And it was a really good experience. And, and Honestly, I mean, I'm 46 now. So if I decide to go and join like a group of older individuals, like in their 70s, it's kind of good on the ego because they're like, hey, you know, I'm the youngin. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you can learn so much. I'm a I'm a history nerd, so I love talking 
to individuals about their life experiences and our older generations. Like I'm totally into it. So it was cool for me. So I get, it's like, you know, be willing to try stuff. And if it didn't work, try it again at another time. And Hey, after three times, if it didn't work for you, cool, but find something else that, that works for you. So yeah, it, it's a multiple approach to managing, uh, my overall health. It's not just one thing. It's not like this one trick or it's, 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 it's multiple approaches. And, and what works for me might not necessarily work for someone else. And what works for someone else doesn't necessarily work for me. You know, they'll be like, Oh, I I do it a vegan diet and I substituted uh, peanuts and almonds for my protein. I'm allergic to those. So that's not going to work for me. (laughs) So yeah. Take an idea and tailor it to you so that you enjoy it, even when it's hard work, that you're going to get some satisfaction. Those are my words of wisdom. So we've been on about an hour and a half so far, but I wanted to uh, really quick also touch on some of the uh, advocacy that you do and the stuff you do to raise awareness. Uh, I see the Fibro Pain Chronicles. Mm -hmm. You want to... uh, talk a little bit about some of what you do and so people can check it if they're interested check it out and learn sure. more so i'm the founder of the fibromyalgia pain chronicles and veteran voices for fibromyalgia and that's how you and i connected was through vbff i do a lot of uh kind of multiple types of awareness and advocacy so i utilize um, social media to promote awareness and education, not just for people in general, but for ourselves. Um, cause I feel like knowledge is power. And like, if you understand what's going on with your body, then while you might not be able to control it, having that information and understanding your illness or, or like, Oh, I'm experiencing this symptom and Oh my gosh, like, is this fibromyalgia or not? You know, there's, that knowledge does help, you know, like knowing about your health and all those little intricacies really reduces anxiety or that whole, Oh my goodness cycle, like what's wrong with me or, or whatnot. And then I also put out a lot of educational posts on social media to educate the general public and, and, and people with fibromyalgia, chronic pain, mental health, and it's a plethora of topics, everything from patient rights to lifestyle choices to uh, being an equal partner in your healthcare on your treatment team to um, diet, nutrition. And, and I interview people. Some, some topics are in my wheelhouse of my expertise. So I will do that topic. Um, I also host a lot of people to share their story. I uh, do a lot of kind of policy advocacy on the veteran side of things with the VA and then legislative advocacy as well, which impacts both veterans and non-veterans with fibromyalgia. Uh, And and I have engaged in legislative and policy advocacy for other medical conditions, because when you talk to people with different medical conditions, we have so many like symptoms that parallel each other. It's almost like uh, you could take the name of the medical condition out and all the symptoms, the majority of them are the same. And it's like, you have like a sister or cousin medical condition. So I can relate to that person, even though we don't have the same condition. So I'll, I'll lend my voice. So I, I do a lot of individual advocacy, 
policy systems, legislative advocacy, and uh, support and awareness. So on social media, like on Facebook, uh, you can find me at the Fibromyalgia Pain Chronicles or Veteran Voices for Fibromyalgia. YouTube, I have two different YouTube channels. One's the Fibromyalgia Pain Chronicles, one's Veteran Voices for Fibromyalgia. And then I'm on Instagram at the Fibromyalgia Pain Chronicles. I'm on TikTok. I don't know. I'm not on Twitter. I can't. Everyone's like on all the social media platforms. And I'm like, I just don't have the time. Because yeah. the other thing is, unlike other spaces on social media, they'll have a bunch of admins or moderators. I am the only person, with the exception of the private group for veterans living with fibromyalgia or chronic pain syndrome, where I have other people that help, like they'll post stuff or answer like moderators who are on the VVFF team. Um, everything I do on social media I create, I monitor, I moderate. I have nobody else doing it. So that's why I'm not on 5,000 platforms. And then I have a website, Veteran Voices for Fibromyalgia, where there's a resource page, there's a video informational page where I list videos for people to watch, a blog uh, happening. So yeah, I'm all, I guess that's enough about me. I sound pretty uh, full of myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good for me to get that information out there because I'm hoping, like you said, it's going to be an educational tool and maybe I'll, uh, I will share this with some of my, you know, teammates and people I, you know, that I train with. Cause it's like, I, you know, and I hope I wasn't like poo pooing them or anything. They're all, I mean, they're, they're able to do what they're able to do. And, and that's great. And a lot of them have been like very supportive and helping me uh, feel a part of and, and get out of my head and get out of my house. I, you know, I, I love them all and I know where their hearts are at. I just need them to understand I guess more, I guess, you know, that I can't compete at that level as much as I'd like to, you know? And, um, yeah, anyway. Um, so before we get ready and wrap up, let me, uh, ask you a couple questions that I normally ask people I have on, uh, the podcast who are, uh, three people who've inspired you or you can credit for making you the person you are today. Wow. Uh, my brother, uh, he, uh, yeah, when he was five, he was diagnosed with leukemia. And then when he was 17, he was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy and he passed away at 25. So uh, having that lived experience, I think really contributed. I know it contributed to my ability to deal with my health, but also advocate um, and be the voice that I try to be for a variety of communities. So that would be one person, my mom, my mom, because uh, she's just always allowed me to be my own person and has never questioned, even when I, you know, at things and choices, like even if it was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, like she would be like, okay, you know, like she never, she just was never like a helicopter parent. She never second guessed what I wanted to try or do. She never, thought anything I did was silly. And I feel that not having that from her might not, like, I might not be like who I am, like this willingness, like I've, I'm always willing to try stuff and I've done crazy stuff, not crazy bad, but you know, I just would be like, oh, this opportunity presented itself. I'm going to go try it something that's just totally out of whack with who I am or whatnot. And so I think that was really great. Um, 
being brought up and in, in like that is that it allowed me to explore so many things. And I, I will say, despite my health circumstances, that I've got to experience a lot of life um, and, and learn. So that is great. Um, and this sounds egotistical, but I honestly look up to myself because I feel like I've come a long way. And I know that sounds like I'm full of myself, but I look back where I've been and, and where I am now. And I'm like, I'm like, high five girl. Like you're doing it. So I, awesome. I, I, I do try to instill that self-worth and, 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 and looking at everything I'm accomplishing and, and having myself like accountable and as a role model, like, going back and being like, okay, we're not going to go down the slippery slope of doom and gloom. Like you've done this before and look up to your past self or look up to yourself in this situation that was similar, that was really bad. And, you know, you got through it and I've had some pretty crazy stuff. Like when my house was set on fire in 2019 by a roofing company and I just, a lot of stuff and, and it's not easy. It wasn't easy, but I just focused and got through it. And then when I have moments today where I'm like, ah, like whatever, I can look back at that circumstance or all the times I've had surgery or whatnot. And I'm like, I got through it. I can do this. I got this. Wow. So. I, that really hit me. I needed to hear that because self-worth has been something, you know, I mean that battle in, in my head and that self-worth, um, you know, just like I said, com the comparison thing I'm doing with the guys I train with and everything else and just feeling less than all the time. And I need to reframe and look at all where I was and all the things I've come from. And, um, you know, and yeah, I mean, I, we've crossed path paths in the past, mm -hmm. you know, when I was a, a much different person too, you know, and just being in recovery, I gotta, I gotta claim those victories. I need to claim yes. those. And say, Man, you got through that shit and look who you are today and what you're trying yes. to do today. You do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. We all do. We live in a society where it's like, it's not okay to be proud of what we're doing and to, you know, blare our own horn and, and pat ourselves on our back. But at the end of the day, we're all we got. We are all, yeah. I mean, we could have a great support system and family and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, the person looking back at you in the mirror is you. And you know what? You had a bad day. Okay, great. But you had a good day or you were having a bad day and you decided to go take a walk yesterday in the Metro Parks. Good for you. Like, F yeah, you did it. And, and we have to be our own cheerleader and we have to be our own role model and our own accountability coach and our own hero at times because sometimes there's not going to be people there you know fanning yeah. your flame and and so you gotta you gotta do it for yourself sometimes and i'm not saying it's fair it'd be great to have an audience of people metaphorically who are cheering you on but that's just not how it works and and you gotta be your own cheerleader sometimes and when you get it and i you know i don't want to sound like frou-frou-y about be your cheerleader yeah you know but I mean, you really got to, you really got to look back at your wins and, and use that as your role modeling and look up to yourself on those days that man, you kicked ass and you owned it like a superhero, like for real, like, there, like I said, there's just times that I thought like, 
I should not have been able to get through this with my sanity or I should not have lived, you know, make it through this situation. There's just so many times in everyone's life where if you look at a situation, you're like, how did I get through it? You know, and you just did. And that you, you gotta, you gotta give yourself kudos and, and, and keep that in your forefront of thinking. Yeah, this man, this turned into like a therapy session for me. Thank you. <laughs> Not of all those years working metal health. No, seriously, like you got to be your own champion sometimes. And this is what happens when you're doing these conversations and 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 doing this. Then other people they start observing, and and you your story, your life, your journey, what you're experiencing, what you share your personal life book can become someone else's survival guide. So for as every person that might clap back, there's always going to be three people who are looking up to you, whether you realize it or not. And I'm blown away. I'll get random messages or comments from people that are like, I've been following you for years. I know I don't comment or message or whatnot, but like this post really resonated with me or you really helped me like change for the better. And I I've had people, a couple who were experiencing suicidal ideations that like, I'm trying not to get glassy eye, but they they came across my page and literally like this one day about a year ago, I got like this longest message on Facebook messenger, like a novel. And this person was like, I was literally had planned out my suicide. Literally. And I was on social media sending messages to friends just to tell them I love them. And then your page popped up and I started reading through it. And then it made me be like, let me read more. Let me read more. And here I am a year later, still alive. And I I was like, what? And the thing of it is, I didn't even know this person was following me. I didn't. And that's the whole thing. You never know where someone else is. So if someone pushes back on you, there's three people rooting for you, whether they t- t- tell you or not. So, and you need yeah, to be just because they don't hit like, don't mean they're not reading it, you know? Exactly. And it's not about likes. It's not about comments. It's about yeah creating an experience for yourself, but for others and hopefully building a bit of a camaraderie. So yeah, you just never know how you're impacting someone. And I, like I said, that's, that's one, one, situation that I was speechless, glassy eyed. And I thought, oh my gosh, just by sharing my knowledge, being supportive, creating um, a friendly community. And you just don't know who's, you just don't know who's observing. And and keep in mind that the trolls are the loudest. Yeah. Their barks are worse than your bite. And I can bark back. I am bark back. So I'm cool with that. So um, and real quick, before we get ready to wrap up here, um, what message do you have for our military members that are currently serving overseas? Oh, I love you guys so much. Like truly, I'm like, I love, I, I just am so thankful for our service members, both, both, uh, with boots in the ground in the U S and overseas and along with the military members and military veterans i've become friends with from other countries like yeah i i'm so humbled 
that you've made a personal choice to. That was one thing I definitely wanted to uh, tackle real quick before we, you know, uh, finish. It was just like, you know, it don't matter, you know, like if you served in combat, you didn't serve in combat, you know, if you served overseas, you served locally. You, I mean, we all go in, you know, with, we raise our right hand, we take that oath and um, no matter what, you don't come out the same. And I'm not saying it all like as a negative thing, but I mean, we're exposed to even on bases. I mean, you had the stuff with the Camp Lejeune water and stuff. I mean, we're all exposed to different things, you know, that people, uh, people die in non-combat in the military. I mean, we see a lot. I, you know, there's a lot of stuff I saw. I mean, I, I shared the funny, you know, story about the dumpster, dumpster, dumpster diving. Dumpster that, puts banging, yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> dumpster diving. that puts a whole nother kind of t-shirt. But there's, a lot of not good stuff. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, yeah. I know myself, I still wouldn't change too much because of the, the camaraderie and the relationships and the legit friendships that I made during my time in and mm-hmm. who it's made me. But at the same time, it's just like people need to realize, yeah, you're not, everybody's going to come out the same. And, and I like to have people like yourself on here. So our, military members know that there's resources available for them when they, you know, need. You know, they, they, uh, I mean, and we were part of the military, but it's, but, you know, they're putting their life on the line, whether stateside or uh, combat or even non-combat situations, uh, deployments, because serious stuff can happen. And the least I can do is continue our, 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 oath of enlistment never ends. So this, you know, my, this is me carrying on my oath to, you know, support, you know, our, our you're still serving in a different capacity, just in a different capacity. And it's like, okay, I I know some of what you're doing or going through and here I'm here, like here, um, for you too. So, but yeah. And I, I really, it's so hard when people kind of trash the military or they just say, and not everybody, but there's stuff like I hear stuff. People will bad mouth like our military or veterans or like first responders. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I just wish like I could take everything I feel here and everything I know up here and just give it to you for 30 seconds. And you'd have a completely different take. And, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm truly just humbled and thankful and grateful that we have people who step up and volunteer because they don't have to do this and they choose to do it. And that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, Crystal, thank you so much. I'm glad we were able to do this and uh, I definitely, you know, have you back another time, you know, um, cause uh, Absolutely. it sounds like you're doing a lot of, of good stuff and I'm definitely going to want to check out more of your videos just for my own research and, and healing journey. But, uh, thanks again for being on I'm glad, uh, you're, you're here for us and, uh, it's been great. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity.
Punishing Urban Gasparian on, and you sent him to work the kitchen. And, oh, they, and they got to eat Grand Slam breakfasts and everything. Oh, yeah. And they were suntanning on the, yeah. on the thing. Like, yeah, uh, yeah they, they took off. And, and I told them, I said, dude, I wouldn't take off. Well, they said that bus ain't going to be here for three hours. We'll be back. We had a run and I go, all right, all right. So all of a sudden, the bus pulls up right after they leave, and Chief Carpenter goes, where's Herb? Where? I go, they took off in the town. And he goes, God damn it. And uh, I go, uh-oh, they're in trouble. And uh, again, and then we come back, we, we, we get there, and all of a sudden they show up in a car, you know. Yeah. And uh, he goes to him, he goes, you guys are mess cooking. Man, I didn't screw them, man. They made out like that. They made out. Yeah. <laughs> didn't have to stand the line wires. Yeah. No, And thank you for listening to another story time from the VFW Hall. Brought to you by Today's Boondogger. Thank you for listening once again to today's Boondoggle Radio Show. Please be sure to check out our website, DomainCLE.com or Today'sBoondoggle.com for more shows and check out our archives. Follow us on social media at Today's Boondoggle on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter for more information about this podcast. And please support us on www.anchor.fm forward slash today's boondoggle as well as on our GoFundMe and Venmo. Be sure to subscribe, comment, download, and listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spreaker, and all the other podcast platforms out there. Please email us with any questions, suggestions, and comments via today's boondoggle at gmail.com. Leave us some five-star reviews and help spread the word. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for tuning into this week's Today's Boondoggle. Domain Cleveland Entertainment is a veteran-owned and operated cornucopia of nonsensical shenanigans. You can find interesting interviews, music news and information, and just about everything else in between. 
Thank you again for supporting, sharing, and tuning into today's Boondoggle.